us is old friend of the show, Levin Brown. Levin, who has just come back from trying to row across the top of Canada from Newfoundland to Alaska. Levin, how are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much indeed for having us uh, you know, back on board uh, your, your show here, your podcast here. Um, yeah, I mean, what a, what a journey it was, uh, you know, so, so far. Um, it's, uh, it's actually kind of strange to be back home after uh, the best part of uh, four, maybe even five months away from home. So, um, yeah, great to, great to be back home and great to be speaking to you again. Well, I just checked it. It was August of 21 the last time we spoke and episode four and what are we on now? Oh. A- 80, 84, I think it is 80 episodes later. It's, um, <laughs> it's been a journey, mate. And you, you couldn't go because of a, a certain global pandemic that, that put this, put the brakes on your last attempt or the first attempt you're going to do it. And actually the, one of the first things I was going to ask you, what's it like being back in normal life? Yeah, I mean, being being back in normal life is. Uh, I mean, we, as I say, we we left Eyemouth in Scotland. We we travelled five thousand miles to Cambridge Bay, so we we went from Eyemouth up to Orkneys, the Orkneys, the Faroes, Faroes uh, over to Iceland, Iceland to Greenland, all the way round uh, uh, Greenland over to Pond Inlet. Um, it was at Pond Inlet we started rowing. And whereabouts that? And uh, we got to got to Cambridge, Cambridge Bay. So it's been, uh, and we I think we left uh, Eyemouth at the beginning of June, and now we're in well late September now. So mm. it's been a long time away from home. Um, uh, lost uh, lost sixty pounds in body weight. So um, I'm, I'm probably half the man I used to be uh, on episode four, uh, and um, yeah, just enjoying the traps of trappings of, of home again. Um, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be, it's wonderful to be off the boat and get a pro- proper comfortable bed and, and, um, eating, eating normal, normal food again. Although the food on board the boat was pretty good too, but, um, you know, you just, uh, sometimes you just don't have time to eat and, uh, things like that, which is probably part of the, the, um, uh, the, the, the weight loss, uh, mm. you know, aspect of things. Well, we should make it clear when you were on the first time I was introduced to by a mutual friend who was also used to take part in your rowing expeditions should also mention the fact that you've done a lot of this rowing. I mean, you could listen to episode four, but I'll do a quick precy of what we talked about is that you quit your job working in back office for a finance company and you decided to row solo across the Atlantic and um, what a tale that was. That was still one of my favorite adventure stories I've heard. And uh, then you went, you've done a bunch of other things. You've rowed across the, uh, the Indian Ocean um, a couple of times across the Atlantic, etc., etc. So I just want to make it clear that you didn't row from Scotland to Newfoundland first, did you? You obviously took a boat with your boat on it. Well, it was actually a combination of things. We we had a small electric engine on the back of the boat, which was um, the equivalent of six horsepower, of which we could only use three. So it was a it was a slow journey, um, and um, but the I have to say that the electric engine did so so well, probably propelling us for well over fifteen hundred miles of, of the. Uh, of the five thousand miles um, uh, covered, so. Uh, I was really, really impressed by that uh, that technology. Um, it was it was really quite phenomenal. We, it pumped us along at um, three, four, sometimes even five knots, 
and um, was uh, was pretty flawless on the on on the way over. Um, it um, it did uh, much better than than uh, the, the, the normal um, sort of combustion engines that we've used for deliveries in the past, which which have only really lasted for 250, 300 miles before they've been sounding pretty pretty sick. So, but I mean, the, the idea was simply um, to to get to the start line, uh, which was uh, which was about four thousand miles from Scotland um, to Pond Inlet, which was which was the start of the expedition. Um, so we we motored quite a lot of the way, and uh, we were very kindly. Uh, given a lift on a cargo vessel in between the Faroe Islands and Iceland, and then uh, the most extraordinary meeting uh, took place, uh, which had, which has been the story of this expedition. In fact, um, you know, really from start to finish, and that you know, the, the, all the curve balls that were were thrown at, at us have, you know, have, have somehow by by hook or by crook or, or or by luck, um, you know, uh, dis- disappeared, and we had a. a, a Coincidental meeting in Orkney with um, the the owners and crew of a boat called Ugly Betty, which was an expedition trawler. Um, so it's not a fishing boat, but a, a sort of expedition boat. Um, and um, the, uh, the the owners, uh, Bruce and Nora Sladen um, and Nikki uh, Donaldson and um, John Brown, who was uh, the, the, uh, the skipper, kind of, um, really subscribed to our, our cause, and they offered it to us between Iceland, Greenland, and then um, we made our, our our own way up part of the coast of Greenland, and then they offered it to us again across to, to um, just uh, north of Pond in a place called Navy Board, um, and which was just a phenomenal act of of, of kindness, and um, you know one that I'll never forget as long as as long as we live. Well, you're on the right place to talk about kindness. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the fact I'm, I've got this dream. I haven't, I don't know how to sail, but I would like to get myself a catamaran. Well, I get myself for the family. And, uh, it's just basically the ultimate screw you vehicle, isn't it? Just to get on a boat and bugger off. And you've got these people that say, right, yeah, we can take you to Pharaoh's and we can take you to Greenland. You know, it's a fair deviation for them, I'm sure. But I just something about it, the freedom. So that's why I was curious when you, what it's like being back in the normal life, because once you got, you're out in the open a life on the open waves that you've got, I, 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 I'd imagine it's a huge sense of, of, of freedom and uh, space and just, and you don't know what that, or did you know what was going on back in the UK or, or in the world? Were you paying attention or were you just focused on what, what needed to be done? Cause that, that must've been really refreshing as well. You know, being just, being away from civilization, if you can call it yeah, that. Well, we, yeah, well, we live in interesting times, to say the least. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts going on in the the, uh, the globe at the moment. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of it pretty controversial. But um, so we, we, in the tr- we didn't, we, we didn't really keep up with current affairs. And we, <laughs> when I came back home, I was almost scared to look, but uh, it was uh, it was it was pleasant to see that uh, you know nothing too major had happened in in our sphere of 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 the world anyway. Um, and um, you know, although it's uh, you know very troubled um, in other areas of the world, um, you know, back home in in Blighty seems seems to be okay. Mm. So I'm gonna before we get into your actual voyage. I, uh, our mutual friend, Charlie Taylor. So hello, Charlie. He listens. 
uh, he he was the one Hello, Johnny. Put, yeah he was the one who put us together and he you know, <laughs> as a fellow record breaker in one of your crews he told me a story yeah. I think it was crossing the when you rode across from Australia to was it South Africa you tried to get to and yeah or maybe it was going across the Atlantic anyway you can tell me but you guys got attacked by a great white shark in your little rowing boat and uh, lost your rudder now, why didn't you tell yeah. me this? In, why didn't you tell me this in the first episode, man? That's that's that was right <laughs> up my street. <laughs> well, um, I, I can't remember why why I didn't didn't tell the story, but um, uh, I, I think there were so many so many stories to tell. Yeah. Uh, we we maybe could have spent far too much time time on it, but yeah, it was actually that was in the Atlantic Ocean, um, and uh, we were we were rowing along in the middle. I mean, literally in the middle of of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, almost the halfway point um, across, and um, all of a sudden we heard this huge thud, and the boat was, uh, you know, moved quite substantially um, to uh, to port, and um, there was a shout on deck. We, we've just been, uh, you know, attacked by a great white, and um, the, uh, the 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 uh, the 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 chap um, who announced it was in fact a South African chap called Stuart Cocker. And Stuart uh, estimated the, the length, I think, of uh, four or five meters or something like that. And of course, um, I, I thought, well, it might be a slight exaggeration. And but the, the thing was is that when we got the uh, the boat into Barbados, um, we saw a set of teeth marks in the in the rudder, um, and I, I couldn't see the other set of teeth marks until we got the boat out of the water completely. And there was the other set of teeth, teeth marks around the corner of the stern, which meant that whatever size this uh, the shark was, it could open its mouth nearly two and a half feet, um, you know, to get round from the one side of the rudder to the the, uh, the the corner of the stern, which is which is which is big, you know. It's it's um, the other rather concerning thing for for me is that was the side that I was sleeping in, and my head was um, was it not for the carbon fiber. Um, around about the boat was was literally inside the mouth of the shark. Uh, although I had had no idea that it was at the at the, at the time. So um, there there's there is there is a great. I think there's a lot to be discovered about great whites. Um, I think they're still a mysterious creature. But um, my my own personal theory for for what that's worth um, is that there must be a migratory route between. Um, sort of uh, the the Long Island um, great whites. Um, you know, uh, Peter Brenchley's novel Jaws famously starts off, I think, uh, something like from lazily um, around about Montauk Point. Um, and of course, Montauk's is right at the end of, of um, uh, Long Island. And um, but then there's the South African um, uh, Great White. And if you draw a straight line between the tip of Long Island and uh, South Africa, you go right through the bit of ocean where... Um, you know, the boat was attacked and it, may, it would make sense that, you know, if a great white shark was in the middle of the, the ocean, that they would be extremely hungry. Um, and of course, a rowing boat would be, um, you know, it would, it would sound like a slow paddling animal, maybe like a, a you know, a large, very large turtle or or a, or a whale or something maybe like that. Maybe whale. Um, yeah, or, you know, and, and uh, I, I think that why they... They seem attracted to the um, to the to the boats, and um, I know that we're not the only one who's uh, who's come across them in the middle like that. 
Um, and they, you know, they, they, in theory, they shouldn't be there, but they, but they are. Mm. It makes, it makes certainly cleaning the barnacles off the bottom of your, of your, of your boat in the middle of the Atlantic a bit more exciting, uh, knowing that they're there. Gee, wait, so all it did was, I say all it did, it wasn't some sort of prolonged attack like you get in a film. It was just one bite and then it buggered off once it realized that it wasn't a nice, soft, blubbery animal. Yeah, it was, it was one bite. It moved on. Um, but so and the, it, um, I think it probably hurt its mouth. Um, and and from, from the little I know about great white sharks, they, they have actually, they have quite sensitive mouths and they, they kind of know what they've bitten into after they've bitten into it. Um, mm. You know, they don't deliberately go after, you know, divers or swimmers or, or anything like that. Humans are a bit too bony. And, um, but I mean, as I say, if, if, uh, I mean, much like polar bears, which doubtless will come on to um, you know, later, it's, it's the it's the it's not the fat ones you need to be worried about. It's the skinny ones um, that are that are that are dangerous. It's the hungry ones. Oh, mate! Oh, this is brilliant, fantastic. I did I did one a couple of weeks ago with a polar explorer, expedition leader. Actually, she's she was a force of nature, and she was talking about how she got she saw three. She was solo on the way to the North Pole. And she saw three, and then the third one was a large adult male, and yeah. uh, that's a story and a half. But it basically tracked her for three days. Was, wow! Yeah, and uh, funnily enough, and this is this is where it, where the interesting bit is. It, I mean, she had to shoot at it and all sorts to get it away because she woke up one morning and it was basically um, four feet from the front. She opened her tent and she saw. Um, Oh, a couple of dogs there coming in, uh, and she oh, saw yeah. this big, um, this big old polar bear, and she had to sh- she shot it on on to on the, on the ice to one side of it. It looked, oh my God. didn't flinch. Shot on the other side of it, didn't flinch, and then she shot over its head, and she said it gave me a look as if to say, "What the hell was that for?" You know, and then turned around and walked away, and she said it looked back at her with a kind of a scowl, going, "You know, I was just coming to say hi. What are you shooting at me for?" You know, one of those things, and. She said, and I've gone off track, but it's an interesting one anyway, uh, that she was, she, sometimes she, she couldn't often see it, but she could always feel it. She said, I could feel its energy. It was like we were tuned in on each other's energy and it never got that close, but sometimes you'd see it and it wasn't that far away, but far enough that you don't have to worry. And then after, she said, after the third day, I knew he was gone because I couldn't feel his energy anymore. And I said to her, you know, and she was talking about how she's not a spiritual person or anything like that, but she, you know, she, she refers to it as her spirit animal and she wears a polar bear um, pendant around her neck now. So there you go. But we're going to come to that. I love, I do love, I do love huge carnivorous, dangerous animal stories. So I, for that one, you said that the South African guy saw the shark and they know sharks. Yes. They're used to that kind of thing down there. Um, and he reckons four or five meters. That's a big, that's what, 20 footer? Yeah, it was, it was a big animal. I mean, as I say, the thing, the, the thing was that um, the, uh, as I say, the, 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 the width that it could open its, its jaws um, was, uh, was, was quite phenomenal. Um, I mean, I've certainly never seen anything like it, even in my limited experience. We, we had, we had a brush with great whites again when we were rowing the North Atlantic and we were going past North, um, uh, Long Island. 
Um, and we got tracked uh, for for three or four days uh, by by two animals. Um, I think it was they, they were smaller than the uh, the, uh, the the beast that um, that, that bit the uh, the boat in the mid mid Atlantic. But you know you could see their um, you could see their 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 fins just lazily you know following you. Um, you know, and we were on a 23 foot um, rowing boat at that time when we were doing the North Atlantic. We just left New York. We were passing, um, you know, the uh, the very very island, the very very point that was in the Peter Peter Brensley novel. And of course, you can imagine what was going through our heads at the at the time. Even if we were full of barnacles, none of us were going overboard no to, to clean it off uh, under these circumstances. <laughs> at least not voluntarily. I mean. That's the thing, and you know, so you didn't sat, you didn't see it, you didn't get to see the shark, did you? The first one? No, 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 not the. No, no that's a no, shame. I, I would uh, love. The, the were following the boat. Yeah, I would love to see one of these up, you know, in the wild, not in a cage or nothing. You know, as long as I'm, in, I'm in a bigger boat and I'm, you know, not going to get in the water with them. But <laughs> it'd be one of those things that you just be a magical experience in your life to see one in the wild. Um, but what, when you're getting tracked by them, what, are you able to sleep at night? I suppose you must be exhausted, so you'd be sleeping, not a problem. But there must be some things going through your head when, you, when you're being followed by them. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it is actually, when you have these encounters with, you know, large carnivorous beasts, that uh, there, there's something deep in your cerebral cortex that uh, that goes off that um, is is you know, pretty, pretty caveman. Some people argue that I'm a caveman anyway, but mm. um, it's uh, there, there's a deep, there's a, you know, a deep sort of fight or flight in, that, that goes on and it does affect your sleep because you, you, you do worry whether that worry is valid or not is, is almost irrelevant. Um, but you do, you know, you know, you're being tracked by something that views you as a chicken nugget. Um, so <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's uh, it's something that, that um, you know, you're always aware of. You know, it's, it's not just about falling overboard if it's rough. You know, if you if you fall overboard, um, you know, it's it's always um, kind of um, you know, risky, but it, it makes it even more risky if there's something in the water that, uh, as I say, views, views you as rather more of a food source than than is normal. Yeah, I know. And there's no malice in them. It's just, they're not evil. That's just what they're, yeah. they're, they're programmed to do. And they're very, very good at it. That's why they've been around for so long. You ever see, you ever see on social media, divers will find megalodon teeth. You see those. And they are huge. <laughs> they're like dinner plates. You know, they're yeah. big, huge shark teeth, which was in the ocean however many hundreds of millions of years ago. But, you know, that's, that's another. And then, of course, you got that film. Them, which yes. is, uh, wasn't the best, but uh, I still watched it. I've, I know, and that's what, funny you should mention Jaws because that was the reason why I'm so fascinated by by sharks nowadays, and uh, it terrified me to the point. Actually, you're probably we're not far off the same age, so it's probably had the same psychological effect on you as it did as most other people in my age of our age. Because you know, I wouldn't. You never even think of it before, you know, until you see a movie, and then anyway. Right, we did go a little bit off piece there, but yeah, get- I mean, it's the same. <laughs> I had a cousin who was scared to take a bath after watching Jaws, and I mean, although <laughs> the, the special effects look rather laughable by today's I standards, I mean, it's quite terrifying. When we were kids, I mean, 
Um, I think I was uh, I heroically hid behind the uh, the the, uh, the dining room curtains when it was when it was on the first time I watched it, and it was the talk of the school. Um, you know, some of the bits of the movie um, uh, just when it came came up, but it was um, I mean it was brilliant in one way. Um, I mean, a lot of the shark enthusiasts don't don't particularly like it because it it brought a kind of irrational fear of sharks and. I mean, uh, as we're as we're often reminded, you know, m- more people are killed by peanuts um, than uh, than sharks, and, and peanuts are not exactly um, scary, but they're more dangerous. So yeah. um, that's a it's, funny one. Uh, it's, a, it's an odd one. It's an odd one because we're we're not we're we're designed not to fear peanuts, although they are more dangerous statistically. But there, there's uh, there there is that 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 cave caveman cave person. Um, you know, instinct towards these large, uh, you know, carnivorous, um, you know, animals, um, and it, it, it must come from uh, that that deep survival instinct. It has to be. You know, where it really did matter in uh, days gone by. Yeah, it has to. So, I mean, the lesson learned from this is don't eat peanuts on an when you're rowing across the ocean. Does that work? <laughs> Something like that, or don't go for a swim if you see fins going around oh, the man. place. Honestly, this is one of my favorite things to speak about is, and, and I've read, I've read about one. I've, I'm not going to go into it now because there's more important things to talk about, but about people being stranded on a boat and no, no one knows that they're there, that they're basically, no, they can't find them as a big storm and they had no water, no food. And anyway, it's a horrendous story. So I'll, we'll, we'll skip that one for another day. But um, did you also, I mean, this is going back a bit, so it's my memory is being tested, but did you not also try to do it last year, but it was too much ice or what was the problem? Did you try and do it last year or how did it yeah. go? Yeah, we, we, we've, we've, we've been trying to do the Northwest Passage, um, you know, since 2021. I mean, it's, it's been, um, you know, one of the most... One of the toughest and most exhausting journeys to the start line, um, that, that uh, and testing um, that, uh, that that we've ever had, and um, you know, I, I won't um, I won't try and pretend it's been pretty. Um, it hasn't. I mean, it's uh, it, it was it was extremely close to the bone financially. Um, it was extremely um, co- close to the bone uh, personally, um, and but we got there um, eventually. Um, and you know, first year we tried it, uh, COVID stopped us. Second year we tried it. It was still the kind of hangover of, of COVID. And in fact, um, you know, uh, a veteran of, of the Canadian Coast Guard recommended we didn't didn't come. Um, the uh, the Inuit, Inuit um, you know, were still very con- concerned about COVID. Um, and, and and sort of you know, strange boats coming through. Um, th- Things like that. Um, there was also supply chain issues um, as as well. So things that we were ordering in um, in February weren't through until October. Yeah. You know, um, so it was um, it was just for another year. Um, and you know, my, my my first expedition was in two thousand and five. So we're we're approaching you know, our 18th year in this. And and one of the things I've learned about uh, about expeditions is that, you know, never, ever try and force, um, you know, an outcome. If it's, if it's, if you're rushing to do something, um, if you, if you force things to happen, it, 
uh, it's, it usually doesn't bode well. Yeah. It sounds like a recipe for disaster, doesn't it? Not being prepared. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, there'll be something that you forget. There'll be something that, um, you know, fate is telling you not to go that year. So mm-hmm. don't, don't go because nature's bigger than you. Yeah, well, that's, and, it, and it, you say that, and it's something we'll want to touch on later on about instinct and listening to, you know, you know, the voices in your head saying this is not a good idea. And it's often right, you know, so... Um, so, okay, now we're getting back on track after 20 odd minutes of, of sidetracked <laughs> <laughs> doing as is normal on this. So you're at the start point after 5,000 miles or whatever it was. And, um, what's the weather like when you get to, and, and this is in, you're in, uh, Newfoundland. Is that right? Well, we're, we're in Greenland. Um, ah. we're, we're waiting. One of the things that delayed the start, um, even this, this year was the fact that, well, we left in plenty of time. Um, you know, to get up to to Pond Inlet. But, um, you know, a very strange thing happened up in northern um, Canada and northern Alaska this, this year is, is that, you know, the, the western uh, part of the, uh, the the country cleared of, of ice really, really quickly. Um, and the eastern part was really, really late. So um, even when we went across from Greenland to um, to Pond Inlet, um, there was there was quite a lot of ice on the way um, way across, uh, and then we uh, got dropped off in Navy Navy Board, which is around about a hundred uh, nautical miles um, north of Pond Inlet, and we had three attempts um, over four days um, just trying to make our way south uh, to Pond Inlet, and it was blocked with uh, blocked with ice. And it was it's one of these scenarios where we were getting blown by, you know, 20, 25, maybe gusting 30, 35 uh, knots of knots of wind. And um, you're, you're getting blown onto onto ice. Um, and, and even, um, you know, with the assistance of uh, the little electric engine at that, that, that stage, it's um, it is really dangerous because I say we only have three horsepower. Mm-hmm. Um, available to us uh, uh, sustainably, and you know, if we get washed up on the ice, if we if we collide with the ice, um, you know, it's expedition over before it's uh, before it's even begun. So um, very very nerve wracking time, um, and, and very very cold part of the expedition too. I mean, at, at anchor, um, just um, on on the the north side of of navy board um we had one night uh where we were kind of doing four hours on four hours off um at anchor with normal anchor routine that we have uh the the, the deck was freezing uh we were freezing and even the surface of the ocean um or the sea was freezing so um you know when we moved in the in the in the morning we were breaking ice with the oars um in order to move the um, uh, move the boat and uh, at that stage we we kind of thought well you know this is um this is crazy at this time of year um you know there's some, something very very strange going on you know in terms um you know of of getting started because you know it's pond inlet is usually clear mm. sort of mid june um, um, you know, mid June, two years before, um, mid July, the year uh, after that, and you know, we were kind of kicking on from mid August, and you know, we still couldn't, uh, we still couldn't make it south 
to uh, to pond inlets. So um, you know, with the top, the clock was ticking even even then. So how many were you on the expedition on the boat? Another thing is, so during this time when you said you were at anchor, were you sleep? Are you all still sleeping on the boat? So you're, the routine started. You're actually on the boat, or are you coming off and staying in a hotel or something? No, no, we weren't uh, weren't doing any of that. Um, you know, obviously, when we were getting towed, um, you, you know, we were on board the towing vessel, which was um, <laughs> might more luxurious than the rowing boat. Um, it was it was very pleasant. Um, but um, you know, when we were on our own um, under the, uh, the under the, the delivery stage of the expedition, um, I mean, again, it's just it's, you're you're on a rowing boat. Um, it started off with two of us. So uh, Tuppence Mellish and I were the first two on board. We took the boat up to Orkneys, then the Faroe Islands, and then to Iceland um, uh, together. Then Davy Flett joined us. Uh, so then there was three. And then a nuke in Greenland, Levar Nystead joined us. And then there was four. And then we met the other four um, of the crew in, in Pond Inlet. So we kind of cascaded the crew in as uh, as we went went along. But um yeah, I mean she's she's a she's a she's a big rowing boat, um, so hard to handle with uh, with two. Um, but um, you know, how big was it? it, it was, uh, Forty-four feet. Forty-four. Um, feet. So it's a big boat. It's a it's a big boat uh, for for a rowing boat. I think it's I think it's the biggest rowing boat in the world, hmm. um, or ocean rowing boat in the world at, at, at least. Um, but um, you know, with, with that, you know, comes uh, different different challenges as well. So, um, you know, she's she's cumbersome to move, very slow to turn, um, and uh, as we discovered later on in the expedition, extremely difficult difficult to point downwind, um, you know, uh, or upwind, or or uh, or sideways on onto the wind. Um, <laughs> Just like a massive know, sail. I mean, it was it, well, it, it was it was. It wasn't so much like a massive sail; it was um, just extremely difficult to control, which is not normally a problem if you're in the middle of the ocean because you've got tons of sea room. But in the Northwest Passage, um, I mean, you're always very close to the to the rocks, um, and um, and the charts uh, mean almost nothing. Um, the depths um, are rudimentary. Um, very very basic um i mean the first time we ran aground uh in the in the northwest passage um the the the, uh, the charts told us we should be in seven meters of water and i know we can two feet of water so um you know it wasn't seven meters it wasn't even seven feet um, how do you even get it, off it was if you if you run aground do you have to jump off and then you know push the boat out or what do you have to how do you get out or you just can you row your way back out of it uh, we reversed uh, back out. Um, it was it was a question of we we were actually blown off our anchor um, in in around about forty knots of wind, um, and we were just making our way back to that uh, that anchor point, and then all of a sudden, you know, boom, 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 um, and then the boat slewed over on its side. And in fact, the reason that we got off um, the uh, the sandbank is that the uh, the dagger board, which is which was an incredibly strong. Um, you know, piece of wood and fiberglass uh, just snapped um, almost as if it wasn't there, which put us, put us 
back on an even keel and we managed to in fact um, uh, get the crew to reverse the uh, uh, the boat off uh, the bank um, under under oars but yeah, I mean you know uh, jumping off wasn't off the cards but it, you know it's, it's always preferable to keep everybody on the boat if at all possible so if you haven't got a, uh, a keel did you have a replacement that you could use or or, or, or is that you just scuppered well, we we designed um, the uh, the boat with um, you know three identical um, underwater surfaces. So we had two dagger boards and a rudder. Um, and in fact, um, you know, after after having having the rudder bitten by a great white and having lost um, you know a, a boat in two thousand and nine due to a rudder failure, um, I, I'm I'm pretty keen on not repeating the same mistake twice. And so. Um, you know, one of one of the, the the aspects of the design of of the underwater surfaces was a they were retractable, uh, so we could go into sh- very shallow water where it was planned, um, and and b that we had a, a good deal of redundancy uh, for steering the boat, um, even if we lost two dagger boards, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we we would still have a rudder or still have the ability to to steer. What the what the dagger boards tend to do is they they're, they're, they're less like a keel, but um, more like directional stability. Like on fins um, and so we have, Yes, ex- exactly. Right. Exactly. Ah, okay. Okay. That makes sense to me. Now, I have no idea what a dagger board is. So you you've, you guys are up there. Um, is that an all-male crew? Is it mixed? It was a mixed, a mixed crew. There was oh. seven seven uh, gentlemen and uh, and one lady um, on board. Um, a very brave lady coming out with seven gents, but... Um, uh, she was uh, she was absolutely excellent, um, uh, tough and smellish. Um, I, I really can't speak highly enough. That's a good um, name uh, as well. Of her, um, we uh, we um, we shared a, shared a, uh, a cabin. So when she was out, I was in. When uh, you know uh, I was out, she was uh, she was in there. So uh, we shared a lot of the um, the helming duties, um, that, you know, and uh, did our. Uh, a little share of rowing as as well, not quite as much as the as the as the main oarsman, but um, you know the jobs are different on a on a big boat, um, and um, you know it was it was it was absolutely great to have her on board. Uh, she 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 steered the boat uh, from Eyemouth uh, with me all the way up to uh, to the Faroe Islands, and uh, we had some very very interesting weather. Um, up there, and she she picked it up really really quickly. Um, and um, you know, I I couldn't have done it um, couldn't have done it later. That's that's it's good to hear. I mean, it just sounds sounds really alien to me. So the the actual trip itself that's supposed to be well, how many thousands of miles is it supposed to be that you're supposed to row? Well, the the, the the rowing part of the trip, in, in fact, is uh, is just under two thousand miles. But the, the 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 aspect, you know, that really made this a challenging trip was also the the the, the delivery of the boat, because um, there was no transport that no commercial transport that was within our budget, and also uh, that arrived in time um, in in Pond Inlet. So we hatched this plan to um, have a hybrid. Um, system on board the uh, the boat to um, you know get um, her the the uh, the first uh, four four and a half thousand miles to uh, to Pond Inlet, and you know we we thought that that part of it would take so you know two two and a half months, which it ended up being. But 
it was a much different trip than we uh, than we thought it was going to be. Of course, we thought we would just motor all the way up, but as I say, as luck would have it, we got a tow mm-hmm. uh, from from the uh, motor vessel um, Ugly Betty and um, some very kind, um, you know, uh, sponsorship from the Faroese um, cargo ship ship line um, as as well, which was which was just phenomenal. Um, so it was we got a lot of help, um, it, you know, a, a lot of the way. Um, on the delivery um, uh, side of things, um, but um, you know, it was it was it was a it was a it was one of the the most epic adventures in itself because you didn't know that you were going to get this help, um, so you were preparing yourself for the um, uh, for the for the for the worst, so to speak, um, of you know either using this little um, you know six horsepower. Um, electric engine off which you could only use three horsepower you know sustainably um and um you know that that in itself was it was an, an amazing time um you know there was that relentless two hours on two hours off and even although you weren't rowing you were extremely susceptible to the to the uh, to the weather because um, as anybody who knows what a, you know how powerful a three horsepower engine is um it is one more much engine power. <laughs> Um, you know, it is it is almost no engine, but um, you know we're we're a long and narrow boat, so it, so it actually drove us reasonably uh, quickly for our, our, our size. But um, you know, when there was any weather against us, um, you know, we could be ground to halt very very easily. Um, and of course, there was there was always the fact that you you were you were driving. Um, you know, with a with a tiny little electric motor in the middle of the ocean with a, a really short-handed crew. So as I say, um in, in the beginning there was only Tuppence and I, you know, then we were joined by by Davy in a boat that's designed for eight. And you know, there was basically three of us who were who were backup. Um so how would you organize that? Well, maybe maybe two rowing and, and one steering um in a in a three-ton boat. Um your your passengers. Yeah. Um it, you you might be able to 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 row backwards somewhere, but um, you know, that 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 aspect was always in the back of your head. It was always nerve-wracking to consider, you know, if if that little electric motor had uh, had failed at any any stage or or if you didn't get you know your turn of luck, then um you, you could be delayed for a long, long time. Um or it, it may be a end of expedition. Um, there and then, yeah. Uh, but it's a risk we had to take to, in order to get to the start. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like we had a much of a choice um, in, in terms of, of, of making our timeline. And so um, you're, you're going across the North Atlantic in a boat that goes about four or five miles an hour. Well, yeah, three three or four miles an hour most of, most yeah. of the time, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, thinking, thinking you thinking back in it. I mean, what were we thinking? <laughs> yeah, what were you thinking? <laughs> so after all that, well, you must have been knackered before you even got there. Before you even started the rowing, <laughs> there was a, there, there was a, there was a, a, you know a release um, you know of um, you know I mean, we we spent you know two two and a half months um, getting the start. It had been it had been fairly relentless. Um, and so, um, 
yeah, I mean, we, we weren't quite as fresh as we normally are at the start, but um, the adrenaline soon kicks in, and we did get um, two or three days rest, um, you know, before before setting off. Um, so, did you, you know, before you left? You said you you said you dropped sixty pounds. So, what's that about twenty five kilos? Um, yeah. Did you load up beforehand? Were you did did you do it South Pacific Islander style? You know, before they did their long Pacific voyages, you just ate anything as much as possible to bulk up. Yeah, I mean, um, I was about eighteen stones, which is very heavy for my size. Um, you know, I'm, I'm only. Well, I used to say I was five foot ten until I, I stood next to somebody who actually was five foot ten, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I as I say, the weight drops off you um, uh, very, very, very quickly. Um, so um, I came back at a at a mere you know fourteen stone. Um, um, 13 bits and um, it was it was an incredible experience in, in, in terms of just how quickly you you, uh, you lose weight but um, but also um, you know why it's necessary to bulk up um, you know there, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, different opinions you know out there about how you should approach these these ocean voyages and you know, we've always been sort of protagonists of, of you know, bulk up and and have the weight to lose if you if you need it, sort of thing. I don't think there's any harm done there. Um, there's other schools of thought that say equilibrium is the is the is the best thing. Um, but the the problem is that your body goes into a kind of um, shock. Um, you know, because you go from you know life on land um, to life at sea, and you know the first thing you know. A lot of people encounter is seasickness, and if it's not seasickness, then you know it's the it's the shock of doing twelve hours work and twelve hours rest every day, seven days a week, um, you know, twenty four hours a day um, until you until you until you stop. And and you know, one of the ways that um, you know certainly my body manifests that is that it's, it's just a loss of loss of appetite. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, rather than eating, <clears throat> I mean, people talk about, you know, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, even 7,000 calories a day um, as a kind of mandatory diet, um, you know, certainly for uh, for the vast majority of this expedition, I would have been probably consuming less than less than 1,500. In fact, I'd even venture to go, say, you know, orbiting 1,000 calories Really? Um, so you, you all oh right. So your sir. body is is really in shock. So anyone anyone who's not from Britain, eighteen stone is about two hundred fifty pounds. If you're American, and uh, one hundred and fifteen kilos. That's big. That's a you, you must have yeah you put on some weight there, mate. But so you you're yeah. you're, you're out there. You 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 guys are doing the rowing, and it must have been pretty after you've had all your setbacks and your delays and, and the amount of ice and all that you must have realized that you're not going to be able to finish the, this particular voyage within the within your ice free window so what did you have to do or when did you have to real what, what point did you realize that you're gonna to have to cut this into chunks i think it was actually about 20 miles after we passed cambridge bay um the, the, I mean, the, we we knew we were up against it when we left in mid-August uh, from from Pond Inlet. Uh, we were hoping to get away at the beginning of August, 
um, maybe even late July, but we physically couldn't get into Pond Inlet uh, before we got in because it was it was completely iced up. Um, you know, not not even ice breaking vessels were getting in uh, much before us, um, and uh, then there was a stopover that we did um, because I mean the, the Northwest Passage isn't like an ocean road, you know, where you you, you depart of land there there. You, you have to run with the flow and then put down the anchor. It's actually ironically like I did my first voyage, um, which is, uh, you know, rowing out of the Bay of Cadiz. Uh, and I, I sort of stayed within 20 uh, or 10 metres of water um, simply because the, the wind and the current was against me um, most of the time. So I needed to put down an anchor when I was when I was resting. Now, although we've got four people rowing and four people resting um, at... Um, you know, any one time, um, you know, on our boat, Hermione, um, it, um, you know, frequently we need to stop because the, the uh, you know, the wind or current um, and conditions um, and, you know, certainly ice and, and Navy board to begin with, with were uh, something to contend with. Uh, so it was it was stop and go, stop and go, and one of the places we stopped was was a, a really interesting place called Fort Ross, uh, which is um, probably around about quarter of the way um, through the Northwest Passage, maybe slightly less, um, and a, a, a really historical, interesting place. I mean, some of some of the, the you know the huge names um, in Arctic exploration. You know, uh, for example, um, you know Ronald Amundsen went through. Uh, Fort Ross and the Bellet Strait, um, and we stopped there uh, for I think it was four days, waiting on the on the on the weather um, yeah, coming through, and that was an extraordinary place because there's actually um, there's two abandoned huts um, at Fort Ross, one of which is sort of uh, upkept um, as a kind of uh, stopover place um, for travelers like ourselves um and there's just so much history um in these these little cabins and um you know we have some amazing photographs I mean, it's like taking a step back in time going inside the cabins and when you sleep in one of these cabins it is almost as if you're surrounded by the ghosts mm. of um you know previous um expeditions that have that have that have gone through and although these huts were were sort of built just pre world war ii um they will be um you know on the foundations of the of the of the very huts that um you know uh, the uh, the hudson bay company and um, huts mm. were on earlier than that and the um uh, these adventures went through so it was a it was um it was it was a it was an odd feeling. It was um, it was inspirational and, and intimidating at the same time. It's pretty cool, though. And are you at this point? Are you inside the Arctic Circle, or are you are you skirting it? We're well inside the Arctic Circle. Well inside. Um, there. Okay. Yeah, how cold? Right. How cold was it actually? You know, what kind of daytime temperature was it? What kind of nighttime temperature were you getting? Um, I mean, usually above freezing. Um, there, there would have been a couple of little excursions where um, I think it probably would have gone down to sort of minus five ish, um, but it, it wasn't so much the temperature that um, that made it cold. It was that it was the fact that the wind was uh, was blowing, and and also um, if the wind was blowing hard, you'd be you'd you'd not be working. You'd either be anchor or 
um, you know, and, and outside and exposed, you know, um, uh, or you know, or, or you'd um, you know be inside um, the, uh, the the the, uh, the boat um, and uh, and you couldn't come up. Um, there, there was no specific heating in the in the in the boat, particularly in the in the back cabin, um, and it was extremely difficult to get warm again after often you got cold. So, you know, there, there wasn't the sort of great you know negative temperatures where um, you know uh, sort of Captain Scott had to endure. Um, but the, the other thing about this year was is that it was it was incredibly wet. So, you know, when you when it got down to these uh, uh, temperatures, you know what we were finding. Even the Gore-Tex uh, clothing we were wearing was 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 failing because it had been so wet for so long. Um, you know, it wasn't keeping you dry. And then you know, pop a thirty knot wind on top of that, and it, you know, it gets it gets really very very cold very very quickly. And it comes back to the old adage that you know most most hypothermia. Hypothermia uh, victims, um, you know, are happen between two degrees and ten degrees, and I, I can well believe it. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I mean, even even now, um, you know, I've got um, uh, numb fingers and numb toes, um, and um, there's um, and um, allegedly I've got arthritis in my my fingers now. Um, so it's uh, and as I say, I'm I'm, I'm one of eight. Uh, people who are who are you know feeling pretty much exactly the same uh, you know on on that front, so it's uh, as I say prolonged exposure to cold like that um, you know it really sucks it out of the out of the body and I'm sure we'll all recover, uh, but um, it's um, you're you a know, something to, to, <laughs> well all of you all and a mad woman. Uh, I just realised something. I said something very silly about nighttime temperatures and of course in the summertime up there there's no night is there it's 24 hours of daylight uh there certainly was uh i mean that was a you know part of our challenge in fact and and one of the reasons that we decided uh you know to um kind of call a halfway point at, at cambridge bay um you know was the fact that um we had at least six to eight hours of of, of darkness um, towards the end. Our, towards the end, yeah. I mean, there and and one of our problems was, you know, were that um, you know because it was so overcast, there was there was nothing to steer by. Um, so you you couldn't. There was no visual reference uh, to the boat rotating, right? Um, and you know, in 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 big winds, it was it was becoming. You know, quite dangerous because there is there. Are, if you go, if you zoom in in a chart, um, you can see how many rocks. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, there's something ridiculous like thirty thousand little islands. Um, you know, throughout the Northwest Passage, so there's there is no such thing as you you being um, away from land. And then there's the the, the other aspect is that you know the, the chart may say that you're 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 safe, but you're uh, but you're not. So um, and, and in the dark, where you can't see and you can't tell where the where the boat's rotating, um, you know you, you you have to take a you have to take a judgment um, as to what's reasonable uh, risk and 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 you know um, where your uh, your ambition of doing it one season 
uh, becomes foolhardy rather than heroic um, and just do it in two seasons as opposed to one season. And, you know, five years from now, I, I don't suppose it really matters whether we do it in one season or two seasons. We've still rode through the Northwest Passage as yeah. far as I'm concerned. And, Absolutely. Um, it's, um, you know, as I say, we, we would love to have done it in one season. Uh, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, it, it kind of adds to the, adds to the story. I mean, there, there's a reason why we, we, we couldn't do it in, in, in one season. So yeah, we'll, we'll be back out there. You know, it's, um, as I say, it wasn't ideal from, um, you know, from, from our standpoint, but, you know, after all, we're just, we're only talking about a little hit to the ego, um, not the, in one in one season, and we're all still alive. We're all pretty comfortable, and, and we're all fairly um, uh, fairly resolute to come come and do it next season. Uh, there may be one or two changes to the team, but uh, you know nothing major. So, were there any moments where you you thought that <clears throat> that you could come that your lives were in mortal danger on the on the sea? Um, there was a few very nervous moments because, um, as I say, the, the, the close proximity of land and rocks um, and the, the extremely high winds, which made navigation, um, you know, impossible, really. I mean, we, we could maybe change our course five degrees, port or starboard. Um, some of the times we were just going sideways because we couldn't even get the, uh, the, the boat point downwind. Um, properly, and um, there was something really odd that was it was really different about the the Northwest Passage that we or I had never encountered before, um, and and that that was the, the the current and the wind and this short chop uh, that was almost like a standing wave, which made it extremely difficult to row, extremely difficult to get uh, power in the water in order to, you know, get the, the water moving over the underwater surfaces so you could point downwind. So the boat was very, very prone to going sideways. But that, in fact, worked to our advantage a couple of times where um, we couldn't actually get the angle to go around some points. Um, and uh, going sideways and, you know, rowing sideways on um, at, at made the difference of that. I mean, would you believe it? 50 or 100 metres, that was the difference between, um, you know, parking the boat in the rocks in, in 30 knots of wind or or missing it, uh, which which we which we did. And, you know, on, on two occasions, you know, we, we missed rocky points by, you know, paper-thin margins. Um, and, um, you know, and, and of course, the, the, the other time we felt in... in in danger was at Fort Ross, Ross with, um, you know, the polar bear incident as well. So, all right, well, let's go. What happened? So you're in a cabin. Yeah. I mean, we were in a cabin and, um, we had, we basically had half the crew on the, uh, on the boat and half the crew in the cabin. And we got a, a VHF call from the boat saying there's, there's a bear approaching the boat um, and um, one of the firearms had jammed on the, on the boat. Um, and, you know, can you come out and get the bear away? So we grabbed the other firearm, uh, which was which was in the cabin, and went out to, uh, to go and see um, where the bear was. And um, naturally, you know, we had assumed that um, the bear would be much further away, away than it, it, uh, it would be. And, I mean, there it was, um, you know, it, it had been less than 10 metres away from the boat. 
Um, but the thing that was really concerning about this particular beer is that we had had a uh, was kind it was 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 a sort of a climatization meeting um, with uh, with Parks Canada, and I, I, and the strange thing is that you know being from where we are, you know, we don't have um, any any large predatory animals in in uh, in Scotland, at least outside the cities, um, and. Um, you know, so we're naturally extremely nervous um, of 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 bears because um, it, it's not our natural in, environment. So, I mean, the Parks Canada were so good at actually making us a bit more relaxed about bears. Um, but what they did say poignantly was, you know, if if they're kind of nice fat bears, um, there's really no problem. It's it's the skinny older males. That um, that are the dangerous ones, and what should we come across other than um, this really skinny, um, older male bear um, who wasn't in the slightest bit frightened of us, and which is why I related to the story that you uh, that you told earlier because um, I mean we, we were very reluctant to uh, to use the, the the firearms full stop. Um, I mean, A, because there was another yacht in the bay and, and we thought that, um, you know, we didn't want to disturb them. And the, the, the bear was the, the bear was just, the, the bear was just in that harassing kind of mode, but it, it, it hadn't gone into, into attack mode. But what it did do is it, it moved away from the boat after we um, had walked uh, towards it, leave our uh, Neestead uh, from the Faroe Islands and I had, had walked, to, uh, walked towards it. And we managed to sort of chase it away, and it just it went and hid behind uh, some rocks. And we thought, well, okay, this is not ideal because it's obviously hiding for a reason. Um, but at least we know where it is. Um, and then we we observed it for uh, probably half an hour, maybe an hour, um, and then we decided to move it on. Uh, so we did the shot over the head. Uh, we did um, uh, the shot to the side. <laughs> Um, and, and in, in fact, in, in remarkable similarity to the story that you, you told before, it, it kind of just lazily kind of got up and and, and walked off. But um, the, you know, there was um, a stage where I was um, I was prob- probably about ten meters away from the from the bear, and I had just fired a warning shot, and it turned around and it it started walking forwards, um, and it was. Um, just, um, just then that 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 carnal instinct, uh, you know, you know, comes into uh, in, into play, where you've got that sort of fight or flight uh, uh, mood. So um, I raised the weapon, and um, I thought, "Crikey, yeah, I really hope we don't have to do anything serious here." Um, and but the bear then walked off into the the, uh, the distance. But the really funny thing was is that um, we got the firearm back to the the hut and the bear was safely away and I realized that in the magazine uh, we just had birdshot ah. so uh, <laughs> we might have tickled the bear um, you know but um, it certainly wasn't going to do it much harm and, until it got to almost point blank um, uh, range so um, yeah I mean in, in my haste 
to scare off the bear, I'd taken the wrong magazine, uh, you know, for the uh, for the firearms. So we wouldn't have done the bear much damage anyway. But um, thankfully, um, it uh, it didn't uh, it didn't take too many steps forward after the after the warning shots. And what kind of arm did you have? What kind of rifle was that? A rifle or a pistol? Uh, we had a shotgun. Um, uh, I had a shotgun on the board. Of the boat is was a was a rifle. Um, so um, you know that was uh, we had two two firearms on on board. But the the rifle was really problem problematic. Um, it was um, it really did, it, it kept on jamming and, and things like that, which was you know really really odd to say it was brand new gun and um, what was it? I, I don't know. Uh, it was a, it was a forty five seventy government uh, caliber. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, so it was, a, it was a, it was a big enough to do the job. And, and I mean, so, so is a 12 gauge shotgun. Um, as I say, preferably you don't use birdshot against, uh, the bears, but, um, it's, um, you know, the, the, the slugs do, do a, do a great job of stopping, um, any, any aggressive bears. But, um, yeah, I mean, as I say, either or, either or works, but, um, the, I mean, the reason we had two is we, we thought there would be a scenario where we had a, an away team and uh, you know a team on board the boat, so it makes sense to have to uh, to, to have two on board. Although it was always their desire not not to uh, not to have to use them in anger. Um, Imagine having to shoot one, and that would be awful. I mean, um, I mean, the only reason you'd have to shoot one is is you know if if you were in mortal mortal yeah. danger and. Um, yeah, because say Parks Canada um, did a great um, a great job in sort of acclimatizing us to you know what what to expect um, and you know when it was roughly when it was it was imperative to um, to shoot rather than to warn um, and the I'm, I'm so I'm so grateful to them for uh, you know for helping us uh, to understand the bears much much better because you know had had we not had that we we may have been a bit more trigger happy um, and uh, not given the bear so much of a chance because, you know, we, were, we would have been more nervous about, about our own safety than we, than we perhaps ought to have been. Um, so it was, it was a great, it was a great, it was a great, it's a great wisdom to have. Mm. How big was it? Do you reckon? <laughs> Too damn big. <laughs> they get very big. They can be what, 13 foot 14 foot tall and a huge thing. They're the biggest bear, aren't they? The biggest bear going. I, I, I think that the biggest bear that was, um, taken in Greenland, not, not in Canada was over 15 feet, um, from tail to nose. Um, which if you think about that is up to the second story of a house, if it's standing on its hind legs, um, I'm looking right now at my six feet. Yeah, I mean it's it, it is absolutely incredible. But um, I mean that this uh, I, I I guess this one was a was an old male. And, uh, I'm guessing twelve feet. Um, yeah, but still, it's kind of a number I plucked out of the head. I know, but still. But I mean, it was it was a, like an extremely large um, animal. It was it was very very skinny. Um, and, um, in fact, if, if you go onto the, onto the Facebook page, um, NWP expedition, um, you can see a video of, of the, of the bear and it, it almost looks emaciated. Um, you know, so it, it, I don't think it had long left anyway, but, 
Um, but that being said, you know, these emaciated bears are the most dangerous, uh, you know, bears to, uh, to, to human beings because they, they're, they're, they're not fast enough. They're not fit enough to catch their normal prey. So, you know, um, you know, a nice slow moving human being with big boots on who can't run very fast looks quite attractive at that stage to them. Yeah, man, that is, what, how is your state of mind when you're out there face to face with a polar bear? Um, do you know something at the, at the time I didn't think about it was that's the only way we got back to the hut and discovered we had bird shot um, in the magazine that um, I thought, oh crikey, that, that might have gone south quite quickly. Um, but at the time, um, you know, it was it was just a question of, you know, we were armed, the bear, you know, wasn't so, you know, if push came to shove, we could, we could shoot, um, but it didn't come to that. And I was grateful for it. There's a guy I follow on Instagram and I'm trying to remember his name. It'll come to me. I think it'll come to me while I'm talking about it, but he does the, he's a bow hunter, you know, uh, with a bow and arrow and he goes into the backwoods. He's a, um, green tree his, his surname is, um, anyway, he, um, Adam green tree, that's his name. And he goes into the, the wilds and he'll walk 20 Ks, 15, 14 miles, whatever into, into the forest in the mountains in, I don't know, Montana or Wyoming or whatever it is, but in the middle of nowhere and this on the public land there. And he goes out and he, and he's self-sufficient and he'll, whatever he's trying to get, I think he's trying to get elk or some big oh. deer or whatever. And he, he, he had an encounter with a grizzly bear and it's a little bit similar to your story that this, this thing is, he said it was massive and I'm just looking at my ceiling right now. And I reckon it's probably about 12 foot tall. I would say about 12 and that's high, right? If you, when you look at it like that, it's, it's a huge thing. And he said it was about 12 foot tall as well. So it was a big, big, well-fed looking grizzly bear. And he, you know, he had a, this, he had a big, I think he had a 45 big pistol, uh, which would, with big stopping power, you know, for, for taking down a bear. And this thing, you know, it's standing up, it comes down and it does what's called a false charge. It's what, it's one of these things to do with a, and if you run, then you're, you're, you're basically dead meat. And so he, he, like you, he had the briefing before and he's had experiences with bears before. And so he, he was stood his ground, this thing false charged him. So it came down onto all fours and ran at him as fast as possible, grunting and snarling. And then it stopped and then went off and he was holding, had the pistol up. And then he realized that at the outfitter shop, he got the, the, the pistol and the ammunition. They'd given him the wrong ammunition and it wouldn't have gone in the, um, in the, uh, in the barrel. It was, too, it was just a, a tiny, tiny fraction too big, but that's all it takes, right? The precision weapons. So I think it would, it would have gone in the chamber, but it would have, wouldn't have gone in the barrel. So that would have, he'd have just been a statistic guy who goes into the woods, doesn't come back, you know? terrifying things yeah but it must have been pretty pretty awesome at the same time though to be in the to have that experience that's one for your one for your grandkids yeah for sure for sure i mean I, I kept one of the uh the 12 gauge cartridges just um to say that this was actually fired you know well not at a bear but you know in in, in defense um of, of a bear and it'll um it'll be uh Probably an unwelcome family heirloom, but it'll be passed down anyway. Well, um, I don't know. It depends. I mean, times change. 
And I think these kind of stories are always cool. They're always cool. I have a friend who's got, um, uh, and this is, I'm not going to mention who it is just in case, but they have a, a grizzly bear pelt, felt, uh, a skinned grizzly bear, you know, the, the skin, the, the fur, like a rug, but it's on his wall. And uh, it is it's so big. It's like we're talking about the great white shark. You know, you just you can't really fathom how big they are until you see one that big. I reckon not, not, not that I have, but you see them next to speedboats and you think, Oh my God, that thing is enormous. And so it's it basically took up the whole wall. And when you, when you had it all pinned out, but he bought it off of a, uh, an Inuit hunter. He told me, and I said, Oh yeah, right. And he said, no, no, no. This guy came up to me and said, you want to buy it? I shot this thing. It was whatever. But uh, apparently in Canada, I think they're allowed to shoot polar bears. No one else is, but they, the locals are, as far as I know. Anyway, so he claims it was completely legit, but the thing was massive. <laughs> it must have been huge. And apparently that wasn't, wasn't, he said, it's not actually that big a bear. You know, it wasn't a particularly big bear. So you just never know. But I just, you know, these, these kind of encounters, they're so fascinating is that when you hear about them firsthand from people, especially people you know, you think, oh my goodness, you know, how, how badly could that go wrong in, in the wrong circumstance? I mean, what was your, did you have an extraction plan? If something, let's say, let's say you got capsized or you, your, your boat got wrecked. If you're in, as the weather was bad, as bad, and you said the visibility and the, and the, the cloud cover was that bad, could they even get a helicopter to you? Or would you have to wait for a plane to land on the ice? Or how would it even work? Well, the, the answer is probably a helicopter. Um, it might have been a passing ship, um, but um, I mean, we we were all recommended to take insurance out, so we you know we all did, um, you know, for for medical extraction at least. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, certainly places like Fort Ross, we were overflown by a Coast Guard helicopter um, a couple of times because we had uh, we had parked the boat on the on the beach. Um, so I think the Coast Guard were was making sure that we were okay because it's it's not normal to see a boat up on the beach. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean the, the extraction plan certainly. I mean we had um, you know uh, Tuppence was a veterinary surgeon which converts quite well you know to uh, to looking after people as well. We had Daniel Kritzinger who's um, who was a South African doctor on board. So you know they and we had a really extensive medical kit. So. Um, you know, we could deal with you know most emergencies certainly as a as a stopgap measure whilst we whilst we waited for for any any rescue. But um, I mean, the, the most the most dangerous thing for us would have been a capsize. Um, you know, because you're you've got at least four people in the water, and water which is uh, you know a couple of degrees Celsius, where your survival time is is minutes, not hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, God. And so how was morale on this particular journey? Because it sounds like the weather was bad and everything was against you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was extraordinary, actually. Um, you know, um, I, I'm not a micromanager um, in the slightest. I tend to, to give people large tasks and, and let them get on with it and unless they're, they're doing them, um, you know, with... with with a lot to be uh, desired, and let them crack on, um, you know, with it. Um, and um, it was it was incredible because you know at, at, at stages 
Um, you know, people were under a lot of pressure. I mean, don't I mean don't don't forget that you know a lot a lot of this is in in preparation. In that um, you know when we when we talk with potential crew, um, you know, particularly for Northwest Passage, you know, you're going to be wet, you're going to be cold, you're going to be miserable. Uh, you're going to have to be working for twelve hours a day. 12 hours rest that we see you're going to get isn't going to be 12 hours rest. It'll probably be more like six hours, maybe even four hours by the time you warm up, get sleep, eat, you know, um, go to the infamous bucket. bucket. Um, and, um, you know, get, get um, you know, other admin done. I mean, just, you know, simple things like, you know, calling home or, you know, sending a, sending a text home or something like that. And, you know, everybody's going to have their, their funny five minutes. So, you know, we build in a, a, a tolerance, um, you know, to, um, you know, the occasional bad temper. And I don't think we were wrong with that necessarily. But, um, you know, I, d- I don't know any human being who's not, you know, maybe a little bit more grumpy than they, they perhaps are at home, you know, un, under these circumstances. But I mean, um, at the end of the day, uh, we work very, very well as a, as a team and um, we're all still friends at the, at the end of it. We had a great um, sort of last supper, if you like, um, in, in Cambridge Bay, um, which was, um, which is, which is amazing. And um I mean, certainly for 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 my part, I I feel very honoured to be part of that team. Um, you know, they they uh, they did well. Uh, um, you know, we had so many curveballs getting to the start, um, so many changes, so many um, you know um, nasty situations, and um, you know a few people who couldn't uh, couldn't make it. Um, you know, with us. Um, some of it off their own doing, you know, some of it through circumstances. Um, you know, it's, it's been a difficult journey, um, you know, um, to the start. But, um, you know, we're um, we're just over halfway through the passage. We've got another season to, um, you know, there's um, there's everything to fight for uh, next uh, next season. Um, and as I say, I think that I don't I don't think we'll have exactly the same crew. I think there will, there will be some changes, but. You know, it won't be changes that we, um, you know, that that I'll enforce. I, I think that the, um, you know, the changes will be made by, you know, just life getting in the way and the, and the fact that, um, you know, some people have, have got things to do next summer, you know, rather than, uh, you know, finish a row in the Northwest Passage again. So, but, you know, we've got lots of people um, uh, that can uh, that can take their place. So um, we're not worried about numbers or anything like that. In fact, it'll be, it'll be great to include um, other people in the sort of second half of the voyage. Hmm. Um, how many? And, uh, uh, how many applicants did, did you get? Oh, um, I, you know, I, I I can't remember. I mean, I think initially we had um, you know over a hundred applicants. Um, you know, you lose a lot when when you um, when you um, outline the costs. Um, and the and the fundraising requirements, um, you know, for them because it's it's not you know just a thousand or two. It was fifty thousand pounds a seat, um, wow. you know, for for uh, for this voyage, which is which is a lot of money. Um, and um, you know, even even despite that, um, you know, with um, you know a, a debacle in um, you know the Ukraine and um, 
the prototypes, delivery of the prototypes, and the and the and the boats. I mean, um, it was uh, it was a real struggle to 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 reach the start line. Um, you know, it was. Uh, I think I've got substantially more grey hair than the last time we uh, than we chatted. But um, you know, as I say, by um, you know by by quirks of fate, um, as I say, we made it to the to the to the start line. Um, it's not as I say, it's not as pretty as I would have liked. But um, you know, uh, sometimes in order to achieve these um, these arguably you know great things. Um, to crack some eggs to make an omelette. And so, when you when you um, you get all these applicants, what can you give me some of the traits that you're looking for in people? And I, oh, you must have a good eye for this sort of thing now, due to your experience doing this for, for what near what eighteen years almost now. What kind of yeah? What I mean, are you looking for? Well. The low maintenance um, is um, is one of the one of the great keys. Um, you know, uh, um, I think you, you might des- describe it as quiet confidence. Um, and we, we, we've discovered that people with with large egos usually fail quite early um, in, in these voyages, and when they do fail, it, it's quite spectacular because um, you know they've, they've never been in that situation before where they, they've been you know broken by the environment. Um, and um, you, you, you often find it is the quiet person, um, you know that that quiet confidence. Um, you know you have to have confidence within yourself, but it, it can't be um, overt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think most of us fall into that 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 category, um, and and also with with um, you know the, the reason that I like you know operating with. The sort that has that quiet confidence is that, you know, they, they do tend to be low maintenance. You, you can tell them to get on with a task and they'll, they'll go and do it, um, you know. And, um, and the great thing about it is, is that, um, you know, if, if they do, you know, find something incredibly difficult, um, you know, they, they don't waste too much time complaining, you know, rather than solving the, the issue that, that is troubling them. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they can bring 50 grand for the seat probably plays a big part in it as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, th- these things don't happen without, without me. And, um, you know, we were pretty unfortunate, um, you know, this, this time round, um, you know, we, we went from three boats down to one boat basically. And, um, there were, there was times that I thought we would never, um, you know, make the, make the start, um, you know, going to, um, you know, just lack of lack of budget, and as I say, that the the, uh, the debacles that went that went on behind the scenes, um, you know, it was quite incredible. Um, you know how things, uh, you know, ebbed and flowed for us in a Guinness, um, and um, you know there was a there was a stage um, that uh, that we that we had where we we had um, you know decided not to go for the uh, uh, the boats that. We had designed, uh, you know, for for this expedition, and we went back to um, you know two older boats that we that we looked, and we ended up taking one, right. um, you know, and um, as I say, you know, all of the adaptation, um, you know, it, it actually reminded me slightly of the Indian Ocean, where you know we were heading for Durban, and we ended up in the Seychelles. Um, you know, you, you had to be flexible. You know, the, the the goal was, you know, to to row the Indian Ocean. It didn't really matter whether we went to Durban or, or the Seychelles. 
you know, we would, um, you know, be deemed to uh, do it then. And the, and the same was true of, of Northwest Passage. We just needed people who were, you know, dedicated to the to the uh, to the to the cause. And, and um, you know, I mean, I understand why, um, you know, most people withdrew or were withdrawn, um, but. Um, at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it was extremely tough times, um, you know, had COVID not got in the way, you know, had, um, you know, the ice and the delivery times not, not been compromised in the, in the second year, you know, maybe it would have been, been almost an entirely different crew and, uh, and I'd have, um, less gray hair, but, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, as I say, we got uh, we got the job at least half done um, uh, this uh, this this year. Um, we've we've rode, I think, the fastest thousand miles in the Arctic. I mean, I, I might be mistaken there, but I think I think that's that's true. I think we've um, we've we've rode the largest crew in the the, the Arctic and the the uh, the first mixed crew um, in, in the Arctic in a in an ocean rowing boat. So. Uh, we have lots of positives to take out of it, um, for sure. Um, and um, you know, as as I, as I said to I said to everybody, I said you know we we maybe haven't got the gold medal um, out of out of this year because you know getting through in one season would have been you know the uh, the gold standard. But um, you know, going through in two seasons is, is certainly um, you know uh, a, a worthy achievement and. Um, uh, you know the the, uh, the silver medal at the very very least, and as I say, I, I think in in five years' time or two years' time, it's it's not going to make a, an awful lot of difference whether we went through in, in one season or two. Um, you know, we've still rode through the, the Northwest Passage, and we're still the first ocean rowing boat to do it. And uh, you know, from uh, from east east to west, and you know, I think that's um, you know, it's, I think it's you know worthy. I think it's worthy. It certainly is, Levin. You are a nutcase, and I and I love that. I think it's it's very admirable. I just, you know, I think I put on the the original Facebook post, and when I put this up, was it if anyone wants to endure months of unimaginable hardship, then you know, sign up, contact Levin, and it sounded like I was spot on. It sounded hor- it sounds hor- <laughs> sounds horrific. Chuck in a polar bear as well. Um, but you know what, years. Yes. Yeah, but it, you know what thing is, I, I also, it, these, you can't make these memories, you know, this is the sort of thing that defines your life. And, uh, I was thinking about this this morning. So you, we discussed in the first podcast, you talked about how you were not happy in your job and you had this overwhelming urge to row solo across the Atlantic, which I highly recommend anyone to go back and listen to that one. That's still one of my favorites for what you did. Cause it's just, it was an insane story. And, um, do you, have you got any regrets about quitting your job and, and following your gut? No, because I, I think it was kind of all meant to be. I mean, in fact, um, I was, I went round to my old boss's house and had a lovely meal with uh, John and Sue Frame. Um, and John was such a, a brilliant boss. Um, he was, uh, I mean, almost like a sort of second father to me. I and mean, then don't forget, I started working for for the uh, for that company, uh, Bell Lorry, when I was seventeen. Um, so I was I was just a kid, um, and um, you know, John 
you know, discovered me filing record cards at some absurd, you know, hour in the morning. And, um, you know, he was responsible for bringing me from the, from the back office to the front office. Um, and it was, um, it was really just after John, John left that I, I got a little bit discontented, um, because he took me to task and he, I think he was listening to that and he said, were you really unhappy in your job? And I said, well, not, not, not whilst you were there. <laughs> um, and I went, all right, okay, well, that's, that's fine. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it was, it was a question. I mean, and, and that, that is what great leadership, um, you know, meant, meant for me at least. Um, you know, I was, I was, I was very content to, uh, to do, um, you know, uh, what I was told. Um, and, um, but, you know, when, when, when the, when the person who, whom you are used to, uh, let's say, um, because I'm not saying those after were bad, but, um, you know, you were just used to a certain, um, uh, you know, way of, way of doing things. And, and um, that was, that was that. And, you know, um, you know, it's, it's incredible because, um, in fact, um, you know, John Frame and, um, introduced me to a, a chap called David Fox Pitt. Um, and, um, I did a little bit of work, um, with, uh, the Scottish Community Foundation, um, as a voluntary marshal on something called the Caledonian Challenge, which, um, maybe, uh, a few of your listeners, um, will have heard of, which is a 54 or 56 mile walk. I think I'm maybe doing them a disservice in the Scottish Highlands. And I bumped into a, a chap called David Fox Pitt, who's a mutual friend of John Freeman and, uh, and I's. And, um, in fact, uh, one of the charities we were supporting in Northwest Passions Passage was, uh, Siobhan's Trust. And Siobhan's Trust are, uh, busy out in the Ukraine at the moment. Um, you know, providing uh, meals, um, to anybody who needs them. Um, you know, in, in dangerous, in dangerous places. So, I mean, I, I, I not only doff my cap to John, uh, for introducing me to David, but uh, also for David, um, you know, for his, uh, amazing work, uh, with Siobhan's Trust. Um, and, um, you know, if anybody's listening, um, it's well worth, um, um, you know, uh, taking, uh, taking a little look at what they, what they do. And if you can, it's, it would be great to give them a donation. Same with, Big blue ocean cleanup, uh, which um, is taking plastic out of the oceans as well. Mm. Well, very worthy causes. And this David Fox Pitt, <clears throat> excuse me, he was an ocean rower himself. Is he the one who gave you the inspiration? So, um, David, um, in fact, was um, well. He was. Uh, he had an army career, and uh, he's also uh, been in um, many. Um, you know, of the foundations and, uh, and, and charities that I've, I've ah, right, seen okay. in yeah. years, but, but, um, you know, Dave, David's been, you know, always, um, a, uh, a great source of inspiration and energy. Um, in fact, he helped us, uh, select our, our crews, you know, up on the banks of Loch Tay by sort of um, in inventing something that was akin to uh, the the, uh, the first few days of of army training and and things like that. And uh, we used to thin out our numbers yeah. um, uh, by by David kind of beasting them up and down mountains and over over locks and rivers and things like that. Yeah, um, we're good at that. So um, he was. Um, in fact, Charlie Taylor, our our, our mutual friend, was uh, was on one of these. Sort of selection events, so um, he knows exactly what it was what it was like. So, 
um, you know, David's been part of our life and our journey in ocean brewing for, for a long, long while, um, as has uh, John Free. That's outstanding. So no regrets, no regrets about what you've what you've done with your life because sometimes the regular wages are, are a bit of a, a bit of a regret but um you know that I, I think you're right i think you know um money can't replace memories and um you know your gravestone never says how rich you were anyway so that's true um <clears throat> very true so it's the legacy you leave behind and and the things that you've achieved in your in your life that uh, that tend to uh, that tend to live on so yeah um you know, I, I mention it because I mention it because uh, it's become it's become a theme I've noticed with the guests is that they've f- followed their their gut their instinct to go and do something which most people would think is nuts but it just shows you that it's all possible even and you're a, a shining example of that I think you're a little bit cracked to be honest but um, I admire what you do and uh, I know some crazy people but. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And, and I'm really pleased that you, when I texted you, because I saw you, uh, I saw on, I think it was on Facebook that you'd come back. So when I dropped you a text, I got an almost immediate response saying, yes, let's do a podcast. And I thought, fantastic. Good lad. I no, really appreciate leaving. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll stay in touch. And I want to hear about, well, we'll have to do this again next, this time next year and find out what happened in part two. That's right. Yes, it'll be uh, grizzly bears, not polar bears, in part yeah. two, I think. And, um, and then hopefully we'll get uh, get to the finish, uh, good and good and proper, and um, you know have a have a nice conclusion to the story. Fantastic. All right, mate. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate what you do. I think it's 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 just so cool, and it's 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 inspirational, and you make me almost want to go and do one of your rows. But we'll have to see about that. Now maybe I'm uh, uh, yeah. sign it, sign it, sign on the dotted line. Yeah, I'll have to find the fifty grand. Fine, but <laughs> so leaving. Take care, my man, and um, let's uh, let's stay in touch and let's get this uh, let's get this part two done. Thank you very much indeed, um, and uh, thanks for thanks for listening and thanks for inviting me on again. No, absolutely, my pleasure, pal. All the best. Take care. Bye.